Hi, this is Him We Proclaim with Dr. John Fonville. One of the toughest mindsets to break out of in Christian living is to stop doing things to earn our salvation. John has identified that sometimes followers of Christ, in working on their holiness, would rather be taught what to do and how to do than be comforted with the gospel often. Some gospel-centered good news is on the way today. This message comes to us from the Gospel Mystery of Sanctification series, and it's called Three Problems with the Deeds Over Creeds Mentality. Here's John with part two. The default cry of the fallen human heart says deeds, not creeds. Many people think the how, creeds, doctrine, gospel, is irrelevant and useless. Don't tell me a bunch of theology. Just tell me what to do. So with this in mind, I want to give you three basic problems with a deeds, not creeds mentality. This common mistake of skipping over the how for just tell me what to do and I'll go do it. First, a deeds, not creeds mentality rests on the mistaken belief that holy living is a means to an end. You see, moralists say, okay, well, maybe if you get in by grace, but you're going to complete yourself by your works. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, you were saved in order to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. The fruit demonstrates what the tree is, right? Second, Many pastors contribute to this deeds, not creeds mentality because they separate the law from the gospel. What is the attraction to this kind of legal preaching? Why do we like deeds, not creeds? Why do we like just do it? Why do we like seven keys to victorious Christian living? In his book, Preaching the Whole Gospel as Christian Scripture, uh, Graham Goldsworthy answers. He says, I suggest that we love this kind of treatment because we are legalists at heart. We would love to be able to say that we have fulfilled all kinds of conditions, be they tearing, surrendering fully, getting rid of every known sin so that God might truly bless us. And so separating the law from the gospel, giving exhortations without the gospel is a very common mistake. Here's a third problem with deeds, not creeds mentality. A deeds not creeds mentality fails to understand the doctrine of original sin. Why do you have to learn how to actually keep and obey the law of God before you actually do so? The answer is the doctrine of original sin. The doctrine of original sin, which is the bondage of the will... Original sin does not refer primarily to the first or original sin committed by Adam. Original sin refers to the result of the first sin of Adam. It is the entire corruption of the entire human race. It is the fallen condition into which we are all born. Article 9 in the 39 Articles has a very long definition, so we're not going to look at it this morning. But it nails the doctrine of original sin perfectly. It teaches that, listen, we are all sinners in Adam. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Paul says this. He says that we have all sinned because sin entered the world through Adam. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, 
Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. You see, all humanity comes into existence into a state of sinfulness. This is what David laments in Psalm 51. He's lamenting this fallen condition in which he is mourned. Listen to what he says. He says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. And so this is what original sin teaches. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. And so by reason of the fall, not only Adam and Eve, but all humanity fell from their original righteousness and became dead in sin. And not only that, but their entire faculty, body and soul, is completely wholly defiled in sin, in this fallen condition of original sin. This is what Paul teaches in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. He says, there is none righteous, there's not even one, there is none who understands, there is none who seeks for God. All have turned away, together they have become useless, there is none who does good, there's not even one. And so because of this original sin, because this is true, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 7, that all people are unwilling and unable to obey God. That's, that's the key. Because of this original sin, all people come into this world unwilling and unable to obey God. He says that the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. So listen, so when Adam and Eve disobeyed, and all humanity and Adam, when they, when they obeyed, the whole world became trapped in a world ruled by Satan, as Paul says in Ephesians 2 verse 3. He says, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. This, this entrapment that is bondage, is a spiritual bondage of which, which Martin Luther wrote about in his famous book, The Bondage of the Will, which Luther said he considered that to be his most important work of the Reformation, The Bondage of the Will. Every human being is in this state of bondage because all have inherited the consequences of Adam's sin. So how can we illustrate this? Uh, Gerald Bray, in the book that we're studying on the 39 Articles, has a great illustration of it. He explains this bondage like this. He says, we are free, in quotation marks, we are free in the way that fish in an aquarium are free. We can move around within limits, but cannot escape from the confines in which we have been placed. The fish may not realize this, but the outside observer sees it all too clearly. He's exactly right. And so all of this means that the doctrine of original sin has one major implication for your life and for my life. Original sin means this, you cannot live a holy life by your own power. You have to be empowered by God to live a holy life. 
You see, when Adam was first created in the image of God, the Bible teaches that he was created upright and in a state of innocence. Adam was able not to sin. He had the freedom and ability to do what was pleasing to God. But when he fell, he lost that freedom and ability and he entered into a fallen state. And now Adam was not able not to sin. Or we could say it like this, Adam was bound to sin. He was now in bondage to his fallen condition. He could not help himself at all until God in Genesis 3.15 revealed to him a way that he could be restored and it would come solely as an act of free grace on God's part, not Adam's. And so Adam in all of humanity was now free in the way that fish in an aquarium are free. Oh, he could, he could move around within limits, but he can't escape the confines, this fallen condition of original sin in which he has fallen. And so the fall in Genesis chapter three, it was devastating. It was devastating. It had cosmic implications and results. It reached far beyond Adam and Eve. This is what R.C. Sproul says about it. He says that the fall of Adam not only touched all of mankind, but decimated all mankind. And so as a result of Adam's fall into sin, you are now powerless to live a holy life in your own strength. You no longer have that ability. We are so depraved, we are totally unable to do anything that is good and inclined to all evil unless we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And so again, Gerald Bray, he writes this, it's very helpful. There's only one escape from our prison and that is divine rescue. God can lift us out of our limitations, but we cannot do anything to help ourselves. We saw this morning in catechism class as we were looking at the doctrine of justification and the doctrine of good works that 87% of evangelicals surveyed in a Barna survey said that this is a Bible verse in the Bible and this is what the Bible teaches. God helps those who help themselves. That is medieval scholastic theology of congruent merit, which will damn you. And that was the heart of what the whole Protestant Reformation was fighting against. Original sin says God can lift us out of our limitations, but we cannot do anything to help ourselves. He says, we may be, be capable of great achievements when the limitations placed on us. Remember that it is not possible for prisoners to get university degrees, for example, and some of them achieve amazing things. It's not impossible for a prisoner to get a university degree and for a prisoner to achieve amazing things. But however brilliant and gifted these prisoners may prove to be, they are still in prison and can get out unless they are released. 
This is the state of fallen man. Apart from the grace of God, there is nothing we can do to change it. True obedience, theologians call it evangelical obedience, obedience born from the gospel, driven and motivated from grace, the gospel. Listen carefully, true obedience, the ethics and morality come from regeneration. True obedience begins with being born again by the Holy Spirit. Walter Marshall describes how God, through the gospel, liberates our wills from the bondage of sin so that we might be truly free to love him and to obey him. He says, you will have a free will, all right, but the only freedom you will have is the freedom to serve sin. In the work of the gospel, God addresses your slavery to sin. God restores you to holiness by giving you a new heart and a new spirit. And he quotes Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27, which is a promise of the new covenant from Ezekiel. He takes away your heart of stone and he gives you a heart of flesh. He circumcises your heart to love him with your whole heart and soul. He requires that you, listen, be transformed in the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is his acceptable will, Romans 12, 2. David prayed for the same thing, that God would create in him, create in him a clean heart and renew a right spirit within him, Psalm 51.10. Listen, in this work of regeneration, God changes the direction of your inner life. You always have the free will to choose what you want to do, and through the gospel, when God cleanses and circumcises your heart, he changes your desire for evil into a desire for good, and this is the root of all true obedience to God. So there's one last point I want to make as we finish. It's vitally important for us to understand that we will continue to struggle against the desires of the flesh, this fallen condition of original sin into which we have been born. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Peter speaks of the Christian life as a war. He says, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. These desires of the flesh, that is who you are in Adam, that original sin, that dead nature, that fallen condition. The desires of the flesh do not disappear when the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the gospel, makes us new creations in Christ. It doesn't immediately disappear. Paul says this much in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit sets his desires against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Now, that could be a good thing where the Holy Spirit puts his desires against your flesh so that you can't do the things that your flesh desires, or it could be that the, the flesh is desiring against the spirit's desire so that you're not doing the things that the spirit desires. Whichever way that goes, it's a war. 
And you know what that war feels like. You feel it every day of your life. And the good news for believers is Galatians 5.24, that even though Paul says we have this, we experience this war with our flesh, we're no longer in bondage and enslaved to those desires. He says, listen carefully, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You didn't do that crucifixion. When did that occur? 2,000 years ago on Calvary. And when you become united to Christ through faith alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, Christ's victory on the cross is now for you. And it, he, he frees us from our original sin, our bondage to this fallen condition. And we're not in bondage to these desires anymore. You might think you're in bondage, but you're not. And then our comfort is that the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of us is giving us the strength to struggle against our flesh and to begin to obey, not perfectly, but to obey not only some, but all of God's law. We don't pick and choose what we like. We're not antinomian. We, we love God's law. We just can't do it perfectly. But our desires have been changed by the Holy Spirit to love righteousness and to want to live a righteous and sober and godly life in this present age. As we look, Titus, Paul says to Titus, for the appearing, the blessed hope of the appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the Christian life is one of constant spiritual warfare, which does not end until the resurrection. And that is the normal Christian life. I wanted to tell you, if, if you feel like, golly, it's just, it gets so intense. What's wrong with me? Right? That is the normal Christian life right there. And Gerald Bray says this as we finish. He says... It's likely that our Christian lives after regeneration gets worse as we grow older. Not because we're further away from God, but because his presence in us reveals even greater depths of sin that we have to combat. And so he concludes, paradoxical as it sounds, it's probably better to measure our spiritual progress by the degree of our awareness of sin rather than by our willingness to swear allegiance to Christ. Do you remember the Apostle Peter on the night before Jesus' crucifixion? In Luke 22, which is one of my favorite chapters in all the New Testament, all the Gospels, Luke 22. The night before Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus just gave the, the apostles the Lord's Supper after they have just had this massive argument about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. That's service, right? That is divine service if you've ever seen it. And then Jesus comes to Simon, and listen to what he says to Simon. This is a theology of the cross. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And look, and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So there's a difference between your faith failing and your faith floundering in sin. Listen to Peter's response. This is called a theology of glory. Okay, 
Peter, you're going to fall away, but I prayed for you that you won't ultimately fall away and you won't fail completely. This is Peter's response. Lord, I am with you ready to go to prison and to death. I'm ready to be radically sold out and wholly surrendered to you. <laughs> Jesus comes back again with the theology of the cross and he says to Peter, Peter, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied me three times that you know me. Paradoxical as it may sound, it's probably better to measure our spiritual progress by the degree of our awareness of sin, of which Peter had none, than by our unwillingness to swear allegiance to Christ, of which Peter had none, but he thought he did. The only thing radical about Peter was his sin. You see, it is the degree of awareness of our sin rather than our radical obedience that reveals how much we truly understand how sinful we are and how much we desperately need to continue to hear creeds before deeds. And so as we reflect this morning on this mistake of skipping over, how can we become holy? Because I only want to know what to do, right? Let me leave you with this thought. I want to comfort you as we finish. The normal Christian life is a constant warfare. It is a constant struggle against the desires of the flesh which come from original sin. It continues to affect us all. We are all simul justus et peccator, simultaneously righteous and sinful till the day we die and go be with Christ in heaven or until, Lord willing, he comes back today. We're not transformed theoretically, listen, being transformed beings theoretically through regeneration to not be incapable of achieving sinless perfection if we just try hard enough. And so because we are simultaneously righteous and sinful, we need to always hear continually how we can pursue holiness and obey God's law. Let me say it like this. We need to constantly hear the gospel, not just give me secrets and tips and principles and keys so I can pull it off myself. Why is this? Hebrews 9:14. The cleansing of our consciences from the guilt of sin must precede our efforts to deal with the presence of sin in our lives. Hebrews 9:14 says, "The blood of Christ will cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God." We cannot serve God. We cannot pursue holiness. We cannot attempt to give true obedience to God's law when we're dealing with our guilty conscience. If we have a guilty conscience, we cannot obey. This is why we need the gospel to remind us that all our sins are forgiven in Christ and that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, 1 John 1, 1.7, purifies us from all sin. And that'll drive me to obey. Amen.
Amen. Father, we pray that you would cleanse our guilty consciences this morning. We pray that through the work of your spirit, you would apply the gospel fresh to us again this morning. As we come to your visible gospel, your sacrament of bread and wine, we pray that as we commune with you and one another, that you would comfort us by the power of your Holy Spirit and assure our hearts that we are living members of your Son. So comfort all guilty consciences this morning and extinguish the flames that are just burning in everybody that's condemning them and free them so that they can obey out of comfort and grace and assurance that for Jesus' sake, all our sins are forgiven. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, John. The message you just heard is part two of three problems with the deeds over creeds mentality, and it's from the Gospel Mystery of Sanctification Study. More coming up on Him We Proclaim next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday, and it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening and join us next time.